Am I on? Oh. Did you hear everything else I said? All yeah. oh, right, okay. Right, right, start again. Oh, I see, right. Maybe that's as well. <laughs> right, so, so anyway, so today we're, do, we're talking about how to make the big decision. Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. There comes a, t um, a time in all the lives when we have to make a big decision. It can be who we're going to marry, what university we go to, what house we're going to choose, um, Brexit, of course, that's coming up, well, let's not get into that, um, which political party we're going to vote for. And when we get to the airport, we've got two doors, anything to declare or nothing to declare. At uh, this point in the Sermon on the Mount, um, there is a call to decide about the person of Jesus Christ. We have to reach a verdict and choose to live on one of two roads. The decision we make, Jesus tells us, will affect not only the rest of our lives, but the whole of eternity. Jesus says that ultimately there are only two alternatives, to follow him and spend eternity with him in heaven, or not to follow him, which leads to eternal destruction in hell. Not a nice topic, is it? Um, now, I've actually got um, a visual aid, which I'd like you to... Um, take hold of, and you can take it home with you if you want to. <laughs> you might look at it and think, no, I'm taking that home. It's a bit scary. So I'll just let you look at, let that go around before I continue. Now, this picture hangs in the British Museum, but when I was a young child, believe it or not, it hung on my bedroom wall. Um, it had been passed through our family, my dad's family, from Victorian times. And uh, I have to say, my dad was a bit of a victim of his own upbringing, because he thought it was a good idea to uh, preach bedtime stories to us based on this. <laughs> And, you know, I can't believe that I'm actually speaking for the first time in my life and I'm actually speaking with this visual aid because I've always been very negative about the fact that my dad did this to us. <laughs> and my sister was like, what? You're using that? But anyway, it seemed very appropriate with the topic. Um, so, yeah, frequently in my childhood, I would ask Jesus into my life through fear that I was going to go to hell if I died in the night or whatever. And it was all due to that. So I wouldn't recommend you give that as a bedtime story to your children. Um, but it's an interesting picture. So let's stop and look at that word lifestyle for a moment. Um, the lifestyle that's dependent on the two paths. If you look at the picture, it's, it's very Victorian, isn't it? It's very much um, a lot going on on the broad road and not very much going on on the narrow road. Um, there are people stealing, stealing apples, drinking, fighting, flirting with women, doing all sorts of things that um, the Victorians were, you know, very um, upper lip, stiff upper lipped about. And on the narrow road, they're going to church and being very pious and uh, not doing very much at all, which is the way I was kind of brought up to think. Um, so the Victorian view that was passed on through my grandma's family was rather a black and white list of do's and don'ts. The Christian life was to be a severe, joyless experience of striving to please a God who could never be pleased. 
There was a lot of guilt handed out about what you did and what you didn't do, as if God was more concerned about our behavior rather than our change of heart, which goes hand in hand with a conversion experience. It's actually our response to Jesus' teaching, not just his sacrifice that's important. Choosing the Jesus lifestyle out of a love for him and what he did for us on the cross is a true motivating factor, not just a fear of going to hell, although that is what we are saved from. The other week, I was reaching for a bottle of Ariel off the shelf in Sainsbury's, and I became privy to this conversation. There was, about, um, there was a man and two ladies, and they were talking. And I'm sure it wasn't about Jonathan, but they said, uh, yeah, our vicar, he's all right when he sticks to his script, but there's far too much saved by the blood for my liking. <laughs> and I was like, what? And uh, I just thought, how sad it is that people go to church and yet they don't believe and they don't want to believe and they don't really want to hear that. You know, they just turn up and you think, why? This is so tragic. Um, and I thought, yes, I'll use that. So here we are. But anyway, on the broad road, anything goes. There are no boundaries. Permissiveness is the order of the day. You can live to suit yourself without keeping to the standards that laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. Proud, dishonest, angry, hate your enemy, have sex with whoever you like and call it love or lust. It doesn't really matter on the broad road. You can do what you like. You don't need to forgive. And you never need to pray or give away your um, possessions or your money. You can abuse your body or someone else's. If someone does you wrong, you can retaliate as much as you like and criticize others to your heart's content. The problem with this road, of course, is that there are no boundaries and people get hurt. We know that children need boundaries, or they end up like spoilt brats. But actually, there's a lot of adults out there who are spoilt brats. They have their own way. It's their way or no way. And uh, they hurt people who get in their way. And you know, another example is if we ignore the uh, highway code, then there are consequences. So if we speed, we get a ticket. If we drink and drive, we might kill somebody and end up in prison. So in many ways, the Bible is um, a highway code for our lives. Um, we have the freedom to live recklessly. God doesn't want us to be robots. But the consequences can make us and other people miserable, such if we um, indulge in selfish behavior that um, wrecks, wrecks marriages, our marriage or somebody else's marriage. Um, our children will suffer or other people in extended family will suffer. So in our picture, there is, we'll, we'll look at the narrow road now. This word means restricted, confined, and compressed. This is a pressurized road, and there are boundaries, lots and lots of boundaries. However, humility is the order of the day. It's a road where there is no unrighteous anger allowed. There's no sex outside of marriage, no retaliation, and no hatred. You have to give, to pray, to exercise self-control, and to seek first the kingdom of God. You have to say no to drugs and drunkenness. It's a road of purity, integrity, honesty, and forgiveness. It's a road where we are required to do unto others as we would have them do to us. As it says in Matthew 7, verse 12. Life is much more difficult, especially as you can expect that people will falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of your faith in Jesus. The good news, though, is that God knows that we can't be perfect. He's not at all surprised when we fail to live as he would want us to. 
but he does expect us to try. And this is why he became a sacrifice for sin on the cross, because he, we have to put our trust in him and he will help us. There are many Christians around the world who have to suffer from persecution. And really, I mean, we don't really know what that's like and can't begin to imagine how we would react in the same situation. Um, but as Christians, um, we have to live a radical, different life and a different life um, in our faith from other faiths. We're supposed to turn the other cheek and forgive the unforgivable. Christians are supposed to be countercultural, just as Jesus was in his day. And how hard that's become for us nowadays in uh, 21st century Britain and the West and in the world generally. Um, I'm sure you can all recall um, times when people who've had their children stabbed or blown up have been interviewed on the news when a Christian comes along and they'll say, but I forgive them. Thinking of the guy and Enna Skillen and um, a, a lady in Birmingham whose son was stabbed and she said, yeah, I'll forgive them. And the media just don't really know how to take that, do they? And the world in general just kind of looks on and a bit clueless. What on earth do they mean? I forgive them. Um, have you ever watched on the news um, a brave um, octogenarian jumping out of a plane for a celebratory birthday? They are strapped to an expert. But you know, if they weren't strapped to an expert, that would be an impossible task. And I like to think that we are strapped to Jesus and it's Jesus that um, helps us in the Christian life. Um, like that person who is, the old person is strapped to jumping out the plane. Um, there's an adrenaline rush to start with and often when you become a Christian, there is this fantastic time that you go through you might not feel any different but things start to happen and you realize that um, the Holy Spirit is involved in your life and there might be God coincidences that you come across people will talk to you um, in ways which you think is a coincidence and then you think actually no God is in this um, so there's a bit of an adrenaline rush in the Christian life, especially at the beginning for, for a lot of people. Um, in fact, for me, I was brought up in a Christian home, um, and I would say there was no, no adrenaline rush whatsoever. It was like I went to school and I said I'd become a Christian, and they went, what does that mean? I've been, you, you've been converted. And my friend Debbie went and got the dictionary off the bookshelf, and she looked up conversion. She went, oh, it just means you're more religious than you were before. <laughs> There was no real difference in my life at 13 because I hadn't lived. I didn't know what I was up against. And uh, consequently, my life um, didn't really... I didn't really have my own faith until I got, I suppose, into my 30s, to be honest. And I spent a lot of time uh, with this background of this picture screwing me up um, and not really knowing what my faith was about, what I believed and why I believed it. Um, Anyway, I digress. Uh, anyway, that's how the Christian life on the narrow road should be. Strapped to Jesus, anything's possible. The journey on the narrow road need not be as boring as this picture depicts. Maybe like me, you too can think of such a time when you walk with Jesus when you felt like you were jumping out of an airplane because you were having to trust him and him alone. 
And it's not happened in my life a lot, but in the last three years, coming down here to this church, giving up our home and, yeah, everything that I've known for 35 years, um, it's been a big um, step of faith. Um, and I've testified that about that before. But it's been exciting because for the first time in my life, the Holy Spirit has got involved in the decisions I've made. I mean, I used to, I prayed for things like, you know, where would I go and train to be a nurse? But I didn't pray hard. I just thought, well, I'm 18. I want to get away from Carlisle. Let's go somewhere. You know, I, and amazingly, you know, I actually applied to do my nurse training in rugby one day. And I got a letter back saying, why do you want to come so far away from home? And I was convinced my dad had written and said, don't let her. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I ended up in Carlisle and uh, did my training and stayed at home. And I look back and think, I wish I'd not done that. But anyway, that was God's plan for me. But interestingly, God obviously had a plan to bring me to Warwickshire one day. And here I am, just down the road from rugby, which blows my mind. But anyway. Um, so the Holy Spirit has revealed himself in tangible ways um, as we uh, went through the process of coming down here. And it has been exciting, um, as I've testified before. Um, and the thing is, about living on the narrow road, it's not about rules and regulations. It's actually about relationship. Um, if you love someone, you want to please them. Um, it's not about submission through rules. A relationship with Jesus leads to life for the better. Good often comes out of bad, but it's not easy waiting on God. We often need patience as he works behind the scenes. So we've established that we have a choice of which road to choose. I know it sounds really harsh that God sorts us humans out into these two categories, but that's what the Bible teaches. It's not me saying this. God isn't wanting any of us to go to a lost eternity. He is a loving God, so in our verse, he is simply warning us. Jesus actually never threatened anybody. Um, there's a big difference between a threat and a warning. We threaten people we don't like, and we warn people we love. Jesus warns us that life on the broad road may seem harmless, but ultimately it leads to destruction Pride, anger, lust, hatred and greed, unforgiveness, revenge, a self-centered life and destructive relationships and a whole host of other things will eventually destroy us and the people around us. God loves us and has given us a conscience and a hunger in our hearts that can only be satisfied by a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may hear Christians say they felt they had a God-shaped vacuum or a God-shaped hole in their life that only he could fill. And that is what's, what we mean as Christians when we talk about having a hunger for God, when nothing else will satisfy that need. It might, as a Christian, it might actually be um, a hunger that you have because you haven't had enough time in God's presence. Um, you haven't spent enough time reading your Bible or worshipping, going to church. You have backed off like um, a coal falling out the fire. You've gone cold. And so we can have a hunger in our hearts even as Christians, not just before we become a Christian. Um, so God will often challenge people through other Christians. Perhaps as a mum, you've got um, a friend who you meet in the playground whose child is your child's friend. Maybe they'll see something different in you and inquire. 
I mean, that often happens, then you can get them along to a Bible study or to Alpha or something. Um, you know, but the desire of our hearts is that we're different enough that people see something in us um, and want to know what we've got that they haven't. We've all seen the road signs um, saying there's danger ahead. Maybe there's a sharp bend or there's oil on the road. How, how many people lose their lives because they don't take notice of these road signs? And it's a bit like what Jesus is trying to do in this passage. He's warning us to get off the broad road. And that's quite amazing, really. He knows that he has made a way by his death on the cross. And he's just warning us. He's not wanting us all to go to hell. He's not wanting anyone to go to hell. He has made a way of escape, and he wants to warn us. And that, is, that shows that he's a loving God, not a God of hatred in any way. Uh, he wants to spend eternity with us. I sometimes wonder why anyone who doesn't know God, who doesn't pray, who doesn't read the Bible, who doesn't want fellowship with other Christians, why they'd want to go to heaven. Can you imagine spending eternity with somebody you didn't really want to be with? I mean, how silly. You know, but people do. They say, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not going to church. I'm not, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to mix with these Christians. They're all nuts. But I don't want to go and spend eternity with God. I mean, how crazy, really, when you think about it. Um, so Jesus sets before us these two groups of people and he ans and ans asks the question, who will go with me? There are many on the broad road with its wide entrance, although it leads to destruction. However, on the narrow road, although it leads to life, there are only a few people. The large crowd on the broad road can give people a false sense of security. Everybody else on the road can't be wrong, they think, but they can. Jesus contrasts the many on the broad road with the few on the narrow road. The few are not as few as all that, because in Revelations um, chapter 7, verse 9, it says, a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, nation, people, and language will be there. There's an estimated 2,000 million Christians in the world today, and yet we're still in the minority. But that sounds like a big number, doesn't it? Nevertheless, um, we can often feel alone. We might be the only Christian in our workplace, in our neighborhood, even in our family, and it's not an easy place to be. Um, this can be um, difficult because we have the experience of peer pressure, especially at work, um, when people are maybe telling dirty jokes and you don't really want to join in, and it's very hard, and then they turn around and say, you're a bit of a prude, you. But you know, it's hard. It's not easy being a Christian. And Jesus never said it would be easy. Um, if we feel peer pressure and the desire to be part of the crowd, that's actually a really good reason to get off the broad road and get onto the narrow road. Um, and if we do that, you know, we can encourage other people to come with us. I think that's why it's important as well um, for um, Christian parents to get their children into a church where they have other friends who are Christians up from Christian families. So they grow up together, they've got good peers. I know my boys, they had friends in the neighborhood, in their Saturday job, university, school, uh, church. And um, they were very good networkers. Um, and they brought their friends to, to um, Cubs and Scouts and I got the mother of one of my friends, well, six of my friends, to a Bible study group and did that kind of thing. 
And you know, you're at a great advantage when you're a young mum because children break down all barriers. Doesn't matter how old you are. I was a very young mum, child bride. And uh, I remember a lot of the girls in my neighborhood were quite a bit older than me. And uh, I had my boys and we went to school. And when I turned 30, they met me in the schoolyard with a cake and it said 30 at last. <laughs> Because they were like 10 years older than me, most of them, because, you know, I think in Christian circles, um, you tend to get married younger, don't you? Um, anyway, Jesus lays before us two entrances and answers the question, how do, how do you get in? On the broad road, it's very easy because anything goes. The gate is wide. You can be an atheist or an agnostic. You can be into the new age or you can read horoscopes or a pick and mix of all these things. On the other hand, the entrance to the narrow road is very narrow. There's only one way in, and that is by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It's small because you can't take the rubbish with you. You can't take sin in with you. You have to turn your back on it, on everything that you know to be wrong. And that's not all easy, and Jesus never said it would be easy. But the longer you've been on the broad road, the harder it is. Like when I was a child, I didn't have anything to give up. I wasn't a smoker. I wasn't a drug addict. I didn't even knit. I know. I mean, you know, not that knit's bad. Not that knitting's bad. But, you know, I just, I didn't do anything. You know, I mean, people would think, well, what are you, what are you changing from? You know, that's why my friend said you just become a bit more religious than you were before. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a bigger deal the older you are when you have to um, deal with this question. Um, the long, so the longer you've been on the broad road the harder it is to admit you've been wrong and to change although it's never too late access through the narrow gate is hard because the gate's small we can only ever enter by faith in Jesus Christ we live in a world that re rejects the idea that there's only one way to God it's not culturally correct to say that or to believe it but it's not our claim it's Jesus Christ's claim we have to decide what to make of it, and we have to reach a verdict. There's no middle gate, no multiple choices. The Bible teaches that there is only one way to God, and that it's through believing in what he did for us on the cross, and that he rose again. You can start your journey into new life with him today. So if there's anyone here who doesn't know God in the way I've been describing, don't, don't leave, don't go home today without seeking out someone to pray with you or to talk to you about it. And we do run Alpha in this church, and um, you could perhaps go on that course. Um, but yeah, don't, don't um, put off today what, I mean, till tomorrow what you can do today, because it's an urgent question. You don't know what's going to happen to you. And I'm not putting a guilt trip on you like my dad used to put on us, you know. But the reality is you could walk out and get run over by a bus. So today is the day of salvation. Um, so, you know... That's really all I have to say on, on this subject, and uh, it's not an easy subject, um, but it's, it's the main reason why we have faith that Jesus died for us on the cross, that he made a way possible. And we have to get off the broad road, onto the narrow road, believe in him, and start our adventure with Jesus, strapped to him, remember that, strapped to him, the Holy Spirit makes the difference, makes it possible. So I've actually written out some questions. You might want to do them all, or you might just focus on one. 
so the, your group can go away and discuss them. Okay, so thanks for your attention. <laughs>